0: So today we are, we're beginning in Second Peter, and this uh, study in this book, although it's a short book, it'll take us through the month of August, and then uh, we will begin a series the second week in September after Labor Day, we'll begin a series on what it looks like and means to walk in the fullness of the Spirit of God. So really looking forward to that and how God might uh, just stir us. But today we get the privilege to begin the book of Second Peter. While you're continuing to turn there, not only do we want to uh, make sure everyone knows you all are invited to the fellowship today at uh, Jordan Lake, but also there are other announcements on the back of your bulletin you can look at, and we'll point you to those. And so thankful that uh, only you saw a few of the families here, but we had uh, let me count them up one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 13 people joined. Uh, today. So just really thankful to God. Um, They more were in the first service and so that's why some of you didn't see everybody. But so thankful that uh, we are able to see God adding to our number and get to baptize uh, two today at the lake. So pretty uh, stoked about that. Now let's look at 2 Peter chapter 1 and I'm going to read verses 1 through 11 and that's what we'll be covering today. Then I'll pray, and we'll dive right into uh, this wonderful passage of Scripture. Word of God says this, Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours, by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Some of my favorite verses in all of Scripture right here. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence "...by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. This very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue or excellence." and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ." Let's pray. Father, right now I I ask that what would happen in this moment is a fresh, powerful anointing by your Holy Spirit upon our lives. That you would take your word and you would wash us with it. That our perspective would be your perspective. That our desires would be your desires. That our faith would grow and grow more in you. That people would grow small and you would grow big. In who we try to please. Father, I ask that you would draw near to the discouraged and the downcast. And that, God, You would be their strength in this moment. I pray, God, that You would bring repentance to the indifferent and rebellious heart. And You would bring affection in our lives for You. God, please, I pray, have Your way in this moment that we might experience the joy of confession, and repentance, and walking with You, the rescue that You provide in Jesus Christ. Fill us up that we might pour our lives out for others, as You did for us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, my family and I, we did it. We took the plunge, made the step, my wife and my daughter had been on me for two years to take this step, two years, and I held firm and strong until we got to Tennessee and my brother-in-law was breeding bulldog puppies. And said that he would give us one if we wanted one. And so whether it was the Holy Spirit or whether it was a moment of extreme weakness, we are yet to determine, but we came home a week ago with a brand new puppy, that thing. Now come on, in there right for some weakness there, right? Okay. Okay. That little puppy girl, bulldog, is Josie. We call her Jojo. And it has been a massive learning curve for a guy who didn't grow up with uh, puppies or dogs, for that matter. So I'm fairly ignorant in this world, been asking a lot of people, how do I take care of this thing and not kill it? So (laughs) we've been, uh, you know, doing the training thing and we've been feeding this precious little puppy and trying to uh, keep it from chewing up everything in our house and all those fun things. But as I take care of this puppy, we began to realize that if we did not feed this thing, if we did not give this puppy water, this dog is so dumb that it would die. (laughs) This dog has intelligence issues, okay? We say she's Dumb, but not stupid. You parse that out however you want. I think that just means she's got some flashes of intelligence. But like literally when she's running after things, she runs smack dab into walls and windows. I know that that's why bulldogs have flat noses. They just wham right there. And it's like, poor thing. I'm so sorry. And so I just realized over and over without our provision for this puppy, she would not make it. She wouldn't make it very long. And as I've been reading through 2 Peter, the one word that begins to stick out to me over and over is provider. That our God is provider. Throughout this book, God is laboring over and over through the Apostle Peter to say, if I don't provide for you, you won't make it. To say that I have provided you a way of peace and joy. And if you choose another path, it will lead to your utter demise and destruction. I have provided for you a relationship with me. That if you dive into, you will be at peace. And if you seek your own way, you will at minimum not have peace now. But you might prove that you never walked with Jesus. Warning after warning. And yet encouragement after encouragement that our God is provider. He takes care of us. He loves us. And so, I want us to dive in here at these first few verses because it lets us know a little bit about this author, Peter, and how God... From the beginning, not only provided for Peter, but provided for us. Peter was a fisherman. Two or three years before Jesus died, he abandoned that trade and began to follow Jesus for two to three years. Up until Jesus died. It was prior, just immediately prior, hours prior to Jesus' death, that this very one Peter denied Jesus three times saying he never knew Him. It was Peter who then saw the risen Christ. And everything changed. He looked at that very one he denied and saw Christ's continued love for him. It was Peter who is regularly shown as the major spokesperson for the early church. He by far appears more than any other apostle as you read through the book of Acts. Peter is the regular spokesperson for the church. It was Peter who preached to Cornelius as the gospel went to the Gentiles. It was Peter who preached at Pentecost saying that the Holy Spirit was going to come and fill up God's people. And that happened. It was Peter though who was imprisoned by King Agrippa while he was faithfully preaching the gospel. It was Peter who came to Jerusalem to try to care for the early church. And it was Peter who now finds himself in Rome as this letter is being written. And about 30 years now after Jesus has died, he finds himself in Rome and he writes this letter. But what's unique about this letter, it's under the reign of Nero, who delighted in persecuting Christians and Peter has been made clear by Jesus that he's not going to live much longer this is his farewell letter or discourse you see it in second peter chapter 1 verses 13 through 14 it says this i think it right as long as i'm in this body as long as i'm alive to stir you up by way of reminder since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as the Lord Jesus made clear to me. We have in our hands the authoritative Word of God given to Peter, but these are His last words given to the followers of Jesus. And so the importance of should not have to be stated any stronger than that. When you have no other words to give, and this is all you can say, and we know that we have this recorded by the authority of the Holy Spirit, these infallible words right here before us. We have a dying man's words. A farewell letter that tells us this one major message. Christ is your provider. You can trust Him with your life. Therefore, live for Him and know that He will come again soon. So live for that day. He's going to provide for you. He's going to provide for you salvation, so trust Him. He's going to provide for you, so walk with Him. He's going to give you all the strength you need to walk with Him. And He will come again. He will provide For you in bringing in a new heavens and a new earth. Eternal life. He will provide for you. Peter's last words are, Christ is your provider. You can trust Him. This Simeon Peter, a servant, it says here, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Verse 1. And now he writes this letter. Who is he writing it to? To those who have obtained a faith, of equal standing with ours. Faith is the foundation. Faith gets you into a relationship with Jesus. But you would think that because they're apostles, the temptation might be, and there were some false teachers that were spreading some of these things, that the temptation might be there's this hierarchy before the throne of grace. And here he says, anyone with faith in Jesus Christ We have an equal standing. You and I, all of us, every believer, we're equal before Christ because our standing is not on our own ethical morality. Our standing is on the righteousness of Jesus Christ. His perfection, His beauty, His glory. We stand on nothing else. That's true salvation. And when you say that, I cannot stand on anything I have done, but I lean only on the mercy of God for my life. Therefore, there is an equal standing. No JV and varsity. We're all together by faith in Him alone. So he is writing this to those who bank everything Upon the righteousness of Jesus in their place. And the beauty here, one of the clearest passages in all of the New Testament, that Jesus is God, is right here. By the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. In Greek, there's one article that encompasses the whole phrase. If you wanted to separate them out as two people, you could throw an article to represent each noun. The God, the Christ. Instead, it's the God and Savior, Jesus Christ. One person. Jesus is God. Jesus is Savior. And it's His righteousness. This God-man that came to us that we bank our entire lives on. And so He says... Peter does. May grace, God's help and mercy undeserved, and His peace, this right relationship with God that you have and that gives you the sense of internal calmness, may that be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. As you grow to know Him, may you experience His help even more and may you grow deeper and deeper in peace with Him. So this is his introductory introductory, uh, phrases that Peter is giving to us. And now we dive in to find these three main provisions that are ours because we're in Christ. The whole main idea today is that Christ is our provider. And we're going to see it in three main ways. One, God provides power through Christ's promises. Two, God provides grace for godly living. And three, God provides security and an in, in increasing measure. He gives us power through Christ's promises. He gives us grace for godly living. And He gives us an experience of surety and security and in increasing measure. All of these are His provisions for us. So let's look at verses 3 through 4 together and see how God provides Power to His people through Christ's promises. Now it begins here. Verse 3. His divine power. God's divine power. Why say divine? To set it over against your and my power. Our weakness. It's divine power. The power we're talking about is the power that created the heavens and the earth. The power to which there is no height too high, no depth too low, no breadth too wide. It is a power that stands in contrast to us. We cannot do a lot. There is nothing that would label Him in such a way. He can do all things. Name one thing. Just stretch your brain. Name one thing that is more powerful than God's power. I know the church answer is, there's nothing. But how are you living? We can believe that our choices are more powerful than God's power. And yet, our choices and actions will always accomplish His purposes. We might say the devil is more powerful than our God. And yet, the cross demonstrates crystal clear that every time it looks like the devil wins, he's only serving our great God. His evil schemes are only working to demonstrate God's love and to further prove his power. Killed Jesus, Jesus shows I'm more powerful than death. It's like the ha moment. I love that moment. He's alive, he's risen. And when death comes and it looks like death has defeated and stung us all, He raises Jesus from the dead and we can say, Oh death, where is your victory? Oh death, where is your sting? Because Christ has overcome the grave. There is no power greater than this power. And He says, all of God's divine power He gives to us. And His divine power is giving us gifts. What's the gift? He gives us everything we need. All things that pertain to life and godliness. Life there, you should read eternal life. Everything that you need to get to eternity with Jesus, He has given to us. The us there are the believers. We've already established that. Those who trust in Him. Everything that we need to get to the end, He has given to us. That's why He can make the promise. He who began a good work in you, Philippians 1.6, is faithful to complete it, to bring it to an end. However, for the Christian who might have not been taught very well, who thinks, yes, God can get me to the end, and there is joy. There is goodness. But right now, I have to have a miserable life. Miserable now, joy then. He says, I have given you everything you need for life that is life eternal and godliness that is life in the here and now. I've given you everything you need. Everything you need to experience me in the here and now and to have joy now that though will only be a shadow and an echo, of the fullness of our pleasure that we will have when we are in the presence face to face with the living God. Our God has given us His divine power. It gives us everything we need that pertains to life and godliness. How? How do we get access to that? How did the door to that power come? It says, through the knowledge of Him. Oh, okay, so I should open my Bible, and I should learn a lot of facts, and then as I know Him, then all of a sudden, I have His power. It's not what He's talking about. He's not talking about intellectual stimulation. No more, you be good. This knowledge is a word that reflects relationship. A relationship, yes, that has a knowledge of God, But it's a relationship that's built not upon what we can do or know for God, but what He has done for us. That's why it says, knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. The word called there is the word for conversion. When He breaks through in your life, He cuts through the hardness of heart, He awakens your life, And gives you hope. He converts you, changes you, gives you new desires and affections. He has given you everything you need for life and godliness. What's the everything? He changes the heart. He gives a soft heart where you had a hard heart. You had no desires for God. He reorients your affections and desires and you want to live to please Him. He gives you the grace of more resolve To fight against sin. He gives you hope over hopelessness. He can give you joy rather than joylessness. He can give you a new perspective on what's important. That's what He does when you're converted. He gives you the ability and the power to say no. He provides for you a way of escape so that you don't fall into sin. He gives you ears to hear His Word and to understand things that used to be confusing and now all of a sudden at times they'll click. And He gives you eyes to see. Eyes to see and experience Christ in new and powerful ways. He gives you everything you need through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. When He called you, it was an effectual calling. He said, come And you came. You didn't come kicking and screaming because the come was, let me remove the scales from the eyes and now you see His glory and goodness and you run after Him. I want that. Because that's what your heart's been crying for. He converts you. And as you are changed, the door is opened and all of His power floods in by the Holy Spirit. And you have everything you need for eternal life, but also life in the here and now. As I was thinking through this, it reminded me of my vehicles the story of my cars are not very prestigious my wife always jokes with me that i married you for your car if ever you have seen any of my cars you would know that's not the case (laughs) i remember my first car was a delta 88 it was a machine And and it wasn't anything to look at, but it got me from point A to point B. Then I remembered I had a Grand Prix. Sounds grander than it is. (laughs) Then, right now I drive a Hyundai Elantra. So thankful this car was a gift to me from my grandmother who was passing away. She had that car very pristine, very clean. No dents and dings. But over the years, my car has experienced some trauma. I have run into a guardrail when ice took hold of my tires and thrust me into it. I have had someone open a door on Hargett Street. I've told this story already before, and it hit my side-view mirror and shatters my side-view mirror. As you sit in my car, you will find no power locks. You better lock each each door individually. If you sit anywhere but the driver's seat, none of the windows will go down unless I push them. <laughs> That's not by design, it's just by default. And then there are times when I'm in my driveway putting my car in reverse that I will push the gas and the car just goes and goes nowhere. It's not in neutral, it just and then it goes. You know, it's like it just needs love. My car just needs love. And I'm okay with that. Vehicles are a utility to me. They get you from point A to point B. And as I was thinking about it, though, I've driven these cars where some of them, they might break down. Have you had those cars? Cars that might break down. Cars that you might not think are very dependable to get from to where you go, cars that fall apart, cars where things are hanging from them and you try to put them together with bungee cords or things like that. Here's something that I want to make sure that I think Peter is trying to communicate to us, is that when you lack power, and you and I do, God, when he comes in, he doesn't just put our fender back on with a rubber band and some duct tape and then say, go be on your way. He doesn't just give some minor repair that only for you to then fall apart a mile or two later. God says that when He comes in, He makes all things new. He makes all things new. Have you ever driven that kind of really new car that gets better gas mileage? It seems really safe. The power windows go up and down. The power locks work. There's a sense of safety. There's a sense of security, at least over against the one that wouldn't make it a mile, right? We have to live our Christian life. Not thinking as if God is just piecing things together and we're constantly floundering and flopping. But He makes us new. Brand new. A new creation. And when He does so, His Holy Spirit comes in and gives us everything that we need for life and godliness. He gives us new affections, new desires, new loves. And now, all of a sudden, when we see Jesus, we want to go after Him. This is what this text says. It says, He has called us to His own glory and excellence. That is, now that He has called us and we know Him in our hearts, we love His glory. We love His greatness and His majesty. And we see His excellence. What's that mean? It means we see that He is, as we read about Him in the Scriptures, that He is astoundingly good. That He's majestically wise and perfectly loving and shockingly pure. Remarkably patient and compassionate. He is boldly just. He is sacrificially forgiving. He is glorious and He is good, excellent. That word excellent or good means He is the perfect embodiment of everything right. And when you're a follower of Jesus, you're brought into that. You're attracted to that. And then it says in verse 4, It was by His great glory and by His great excellence and perfect obedience by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises. The people of God are meant to live by the promises of God. I'll say it again. The people of God are meant to live by the promises of God. Which means, Jesus came, He died, He rose from the dead. That confirms every word of His proves true. So when you read a promise in the Scripture, you can bank your life on it. Let's just make it practical. All week long, what has been coming to my mind over and over is the promise Of verse 3. His divine power has given me everything. All things that I need. For life in the future. But godliness right now. Everything I need to live a devoted life to Him. So when I'm angry. And I want to say what's on my mind. You know what the word came into my mind this week? It was the word everything. He's given you, Sean, everything. There's no need for you to feel like you have to vent. There is a way of escape. He's given you everything you need to say no to the temptation. You who are tempted to lust and to look and to dive into things you shouldn't do, dive into, He's given you everything you need. Just say it. He's given me everything. That's the banner. That's the promise. There is a way of escape. He will give you self-control. When you know you're wrong and yet you do not want to repent. There's a promise in there. That God gives grace to the humble. He gives grace to the humble. There's a promise. God is going to give me grace. He's going to give me everything I need even if I have to get egg on my face. He's going to give me everything. That does not mean, and hear this loud and clearly just because He gives you everything by His divine power, it does not mean that you will go through ease. What you need to think is when you think everything, you need to think He'll give you everything through your tears. He'll give you everything you need in the midst of loss. He'll give you everything you need even when you're confused. He'll give you everything you need when you're anxious. He'll give you everything you need when you are tempted to give up. He gives everything Everything. There's nothing that's outside that banner. We live by promises. God promises it. I bank on it. He's given you everything you need for life and godliness through the knowledge of Him. Other promises, these very great and precious promises. Promise in chapter 3 verse 4 of 2 Peter. It says, the promise of His coming. He's promised that He will come again. There's promise after promise after promise after promise throughout the Scriptures. Whenever you see that will word, God will do this, or God does this, these are promises for you and I to live by. And then He says this. It's, his glory and His excellence has granted to us His precious and very great promises. He secured them So that through those promises, we may become partakers of His divine nature. It's not that we become God ourselves, but we begin to look more and more like God in our lives. We grow to look more and more like Him. As we trust in His promises, as we get His help. And then he says, Having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Do you see that? He says that when God called us and His divine power comes in and gives us everything we need to live a godly, joyful life now and to get to the end and to live with Him for eternity. When He did that, we escaped the corruption of this world. What's this mean? It means there's a reorientation of the heart. There's a new ruler on the throne. Sin's not calling the shots anymore. No matter how you feel, there is a reorientation. God has come in. God has come in. You now belong to God. You have new allegiances. We are dead to sin, and alive to God. This does not mean, that passage does not say you are kind of lame, limping in your, you're dead to sin, and alive to God. You're a new creation. Sin doesn't characterize you. That's not your orientation. There's a new boss in town in your heart. He's calling the shot. Dead to sin and alive to God. You are leaping for Him. And you're like, I don't always feel that way. I don't always feel that way. And this is why the Scriptures regularly talk about this. it's this concept of an already and not yet. That God says you have escaped this sin that grips you and yet you're not yet fully In the new heavens and the new earth, to where you're sinless. So, yes, there are evil desires, there are problems, there are struggles. But he says here, you have escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Corruption means perishing, you are no longer characterized by what is perishing. You have been set free, liberated. You are no longer to be called sinners as an identity, but child, saint, who still, yes, sins, but a total reorientation. This is what God has for His children. And so you see that God provides for His people great power through His precious promises. But that has implications. Look at verse 5. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith. For this very reason, work. I would think, if I just read this, okay, God, You've, you've done all of this in my life. You've saved me. You're going to get me to the end. You are securing for me great and precious promises. You're not going to let me go. I would think then, He would say, so just relax. You don't have to go after it. Just relax. I got this. What does he say? For this very reason, because God has you, now make every effort you can to add to faith virtue and virtue knowledge. This is really interesting. Because what he is pushing us to do is to work and to labor The Christian life is to produce fruit. It's to produce fruit out of this faith. But what we want to highlight here is that God promises He will give the grace for godly living, but that doesn't mean we don't live. And so let's look at this here. He says, Make every effort to supplement your faith. It begins with faith. It ends with love. Faith working itself through love. That's what... The Scriptures say is the goal of our faith that we would be loving. But now, add to your faith virtue or excellence. That's the same word that's used up in verse 3 that says excellence. It's God's morality. It's what He has said is right and good. Add to your faith everything that is right and good. And then add knowledge. Know God. Go hard after Him. Add to your knowledge self-control. The temptation to not want to say no. He says, add to it self-control. You can say no by His strength. Add to self-control steadfastness, which is the temptation to want to give up early. Add endurance, He's saying. And with steadfastness, add godliness. That is a devotion to God. A purity, a single-mindedness. A going hard after God. And add to godliness, then Brotherly affection. Fight to love your brother and sister in Christ. To have affection for them. But don't just let it stop at affection. Let it lead to action. That's love. Love is sacrifice for the good of another. Let it lead to love. And so, the end of the Christian walk is meant To lead us to love. Now what's really interesting is this right here. This passage, connecting verses 4 and 5, he is not just saying, stop doing sin. He's saying, start running hard after God. This is revolutionary in my walk with Jesus. Because when I was starting to walk with Jesus, I was just looking backwards, saying, what should I avoid? And if I were honest, I was trying to get as close to it, and yet still avoid it, right? I want to get as close to certain sinful tendencies as I could, and yet still avoid them. And so my trajectory is back, backwards. Oh no, don't do this sin, don't do this thing. I'm living by the law. And Jesus says, you've escaped that Corruption. You're no longer defined by that. You're a new creation. I have filled you up with everything that you need. Now start walking towards goodness. Pursue righteousness. It is debilitating when you're facing backwards and it's like, oh, don't do this. How far should I go here? Don't do this. Don't do that. Instead, he's saying, flip around. Look forward. Pursue love. This sets you free. It's a total different reorientation of mind because you've been made new. The Christian life is characterized by advance, not by just retreat. Yes, run from sin. But here's the beauty, is when you're walking towards Jesus, and yes, you get angry. Repent of it. Say, oh God, I'm sorry. I need your washing and forgiveness. And keep walking in love. Walk forward. This is what he's saying. Put on these things. And when you are consumed by how can I love, you are less given towards the destructive tendencies of sin. Selfishness, it breeds destruction. And yet, when you are focused on how can I love, it breeds health and joy. I was reading in USA Today, and I came across this. A professor at the University of Maryland gave an extra credit, credit question. And here's the question. Here, you have the opportunity to earn some extra credit on your final paper grade. Select whether you want two points or six points added to your final paper grade. But there's a small catch. If more than 10% of the class selects six points, then no one gets any points. Your responses will be anonymous to the rest of the class. Only I will see the responses. So if 10% of the class chooses six, no extra credit for anybody. If everybody chose two points, everybody gets extra credit. But you could be in the 9% and choose six. And get six. What would you have done? What would you have done? He's been doing this since 2008. Only one year did the class get extra credit. Seven years. He still to this day says it was a fluke. Here's what he says. This was intended to illustrate the tragedy of the commons. The tragedy of the commons is basically a dilemma between doing what is good for you as an individual versus doing what is best for the group. He explains, Now it stands to reason that people behave selfishly. But if too many people behave selfishly, the group will suffer. And then everyone in the group individually will suffer. Here's how the article ends. The professor says this, I wish that students took from this the idea that their actions affect others and vice versa. And going forward, whenever they work in groups or whenever they interact with others in their community, that they carefully consider these things, these mechanisms, and that they work together constructively with others. I would hope that any student who chose six points would, in the future, think twice about the selfish option. And think about what's best for the group. And by extension, what's best for them. I have no idea of this guy's faith or belief or anything. But I do think it illustrates a common principle. And what Peter is trying to push us towards here. Is that a faith that saves is a faith that produces a fruit of love. And so God says... I've given you all the power you need for life and godliness. And I will give you the grace to live a godly life. So stop looking backwards. Start marching forward in the path of love. Because if you don't choose love, you will not only be hurting yourself, but it will have a destructive effect on others. Peter says, add to your faith love. And then verse 8. He ultimately says how I'm going to... He says, I will provide you security in increasing measure. I'll not only provide you grace for God a living, but security. And then just listen to what he says. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, if these things you add and they are yours and they are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. What's that mean? It is possible to be a believer and be ineffective and unfruitful. And I would add, you're miserable. I'm not talking about fruitful compared to your neighbor. I'm talking about you being faithful to what God has said here. Walking forward in love. If these things are increasing, you will be kept from being ineffective and unfruitful. Because, and here's the ground, verse 9, Whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted and blind. Is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Whoever lacks these qualities is nearsighted. I had so much trouble understanding what nearsighted and farsighted was until I got glasses. You ever have that trouble? Just what does that mean? Help me. Well, nearsighted means I see near. That's what I am. I'm nearsighted, which means if I take off my glasses and John held up fingers, I could not tell how many fingers he was holding up back there in the back. It's totally fuzzy. But now I see you. Every Every one of you. No, I'm just kidding. I see you. And so he says, whoever lacks these qualities is nearsighted. What's that mean? It means He's short-sighted. It means He's only seeing what's right here. He's not seeing the big picture. He's ultimately blind to what is important and what is beautiful and what is glorious and right and good. He's blind to what life is about. Life is about increasing in these qualities, looking more and more like Jesus and showing Him off to the world. That's where joy happens. And that's where security grows. Security... Because you see fruit on the tree. He says ultimately, if you are nearsighted and blind, if you're lacking in these qualities, it's because you have forgotten God's love for you. You've forgotten that He gave His only Son to wash you clean and to set you free. You've forgotten that you've been cleansed. And therefore, don't forget anymore. Remember, rehearse, I've been made new. I'm a new creation. And now make every effort to add to your faith all of these things. Look at verse 10. Therefore, brothers, sisters, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. It's very interesting. Calling and election are both things that God does. God chooses His people not based upon the good and bad in them, but based upon His goodness and His desire and purposes. That's God's doing. The calling is the same calling he talks about earlier. God converts. God saves. God changes. That's God's doing. And now he's saying, you make it sure. As if God's purposes can be undone. They can't. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. This is where our western mind jumps in the way. It shipwrecks us here. Because we believe if our choices are real and that we are responsible, then the future ultimately has to be open. We have to control the future. Or, if God is in control, then everything is closed and He's determined everything, so why do anything? We either think one or the other. The Bible says, no! No way, no how. You're completely responsible. If you sin, you have no one to blame but yourself. And if you do any act of good or love, no one gets the credit but our great God. It's mercy upon mercy. The Bible is crystal clear that Ephesians 1.11 God works all things according to the counsel of His will. Proverbs 16.9 The heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. The Lord's purposes cannot be thwarted, Job 42, 2. Psalm 113, our God, or 115, our God does what he pleases. He accomplishes all of his purposes. And yet, here he is saying, Not our security rests in what we can do for God. But our security is in genuine faith. But genuine faith will produce fruit. So you can increase in security as you are walking in love. You don't worry. You walk in love. Because that's an evidence that God is birthing great things in you. And so he says in verse 11, For in this way there will be richly provided, there it is, God is provider, Richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. God will give you everything you need for life and godliness. God will give you the grace to live a godly life. God grants you security. Now based upon His provision, you walk in Him by His grace and find a joy and a peace and a love that only He can give. Let's pray. Father, we love You. We thank You that nothing will separate us from Your love. We are in Your hands. We are in Your Son's hands. Nothing will separate us from Your love. What You begin, You complete. Nothing will separate us from Your love. And yet, O God, help us to make our calling and election sure. Help us to demonstrate the fruit of love. O God, I pray. I pray that we will... Stop looking backwards and just trying to avoid bad things, but we would start looking forward and start pursuing beauty and wonder and love. God, please, grant us self-control. Grant us steadfastness. Grant us a hunger and a knowledge of You. And when we don't have it, may we stop sulking in it. But, oh God, fill us with Your Spirit and just cause us to repent and to try to walk forward by Your grace and faith. So, Lord, give us in these moments a hunger for you. Help us to love because we have first been loved. You are always the first actor. But help us now by your strength to make every effort, every effort, to trust that you will give us everything we need. Lord, we ask for your grace in Jesus' name. Amen.